0: Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello, and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart strong and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. You can also find us on Instagram at sort of awesome show or over on Facebook in our sort of awesome hangout group. This is episode 177 of the show and it's the first episode of 2019. We sure do hope that all of you had a merry and awesome holiday season and as you're working on those goal lists for the new year, making your goals and setting your intentions for the year and kind of decluttering and freshening everything up, I want to remind you to take a minute to follow us on Instagram. We have some very fun things planned for our Instagram this year, including seeing and featuring so much more of you all, our awesome community. And of course, we love to hear your awesomes of the week over there every Friday morning. So. Right now, go ahead and open up your Instagram. I mean, don't do it if you're driving. <laughs> but otherwise, open your Instagram right now. Go find us at Sorta of Awesome Show. Follow us so that you don't miss out on any of our fun in 2019. Again, it's at Sorta of Awesome Show. Okay, I'm so excited to be back with you all and to kick off the year with a woman who has a very awesome message for every single one of us. Joining me today is Michelle DeRussia. Michelle is the author of four books. Her most recent one, which just released on New Year's Day, is called True You Letting Go of Your False Self to Uncover the Person God Created. Now, in addition to writing books about notable people in Christian history and spiritual memoir, she also works part time as a writer for the Salvation Army and as a monthly columnist for the Lincoln Journal Star. Michelle lives in Lincoln, Nebraska with her husband. Their two teenage sons and their corgi beagle. And Michelle's name might sound familiar to you awesomes. If you recall back in November in episode 169, our co-host Kelly Gordon named Michelle's practicing presence, preparing your heart, mind and soul for the holidays as her awesome of the week. So Michelle, I'm so excited to welcome you to Sorta Awesome today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I am super excited that you are taking time out of book launch week to come and talk to us on Sort of Awesome. I mean, it's not unusual, really, for us to have first-time authors on Sort of Awesome, but this is not your first rodeo. (laughs) This is your fourth book to launch into the world. So I have to know, how is book launch stuff treating you this
1: go-round? Yeah, it's good. It's good. You know, launch week is ironically, not my absolute favorite part of being a writer, just because (laughs) I don't love the promotion part as much and the marketing. It's not my sweet spot. I do love, though, working. I have a little launch team, so people who come alongside me and help get the word out about the book. And I do love getting to know those people in the group. We have a little Facebook group and It's just they're early readers and it's so positive and encouraging to hear their feedback on the book. And so all of that is good. It's it's all good. Good, good. Now, that surprises me a little bit because aren't you an Enneagram 3? Yes, I I am. I know. I know. I'm an Enneagram (laughs) 3. Oh, my gosh. So they always say, right, that you know your number when you feel yourself like pushing against it, which I... yes kind of hate being an enneagram three <laughs> i've heard oh, what's his name ian cron of yes typology say that threes kind of carry the most shame around their number oh interesting. yeah and i sort of feel like that's true because yeah when i found out so the three is the achiever performer and yeah. I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's so gross. I don't want to be that. <laughs> <laughs> and it so fits. It really does. So, yeah, you would think that I would love the whole uh-huh. marketing promotions aspect. But I think I feel a lot of pressure. And I think that's part of oh, yes. the threeness of me, you know, just feeling like I have to do all the things and be really yeah. striving and hustling and producing. And I feel that pressure. Yes. And so it doesn't feed into the healthy part of being a three. I can go into my unhealthy place really quickly during this part. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I definitely understand what you're saying there. It could, yeah, kind of lead you maybe into some unhealthy directions, all the pressure to get all of the book talk out there. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And I have to think too, that is like, you summed up the most typical response. When anyone finds out what their Enneagram type is, be like, Gross, to be like, I said it wouldn't be I know. I know. I was like, "Why? What?
1: what is that? What is achiever performer? That sounds terrible. Like I'm a big <laughs> fake, you know? But <laughs> so yeah, I resisted. It was Lee Kramer, who I think you've had on your show, right? Oh yes. She yes, came times. through Lincoln on her way to, I think when she was moving to San Francisco and she stayed yes. with a mutual friend. And she did the Enneagram with us because she's like an Enneagram expert. So yes. I feel like I had a really special treatment because I got to have an in-person Enneagram yeah. analysis. And it was so fun. It was so illuminating. Yes.
0: Yes. She also did the analysis for me. She used the flashcards.
1: Did she use those for yeah. you guys? Yeah. 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 And so then when we first discovered I was a three, then I didn't do anything with it for like Seriously, like two years, I thought, oh my gosh, Mm. I can't deal with this. I don't even want to know what this is all about. Right. I've slowly read some books and listened to some podcasts, and I have come to love it. I just think the more you get into the Enneagram, the more deeply revealing and illuminating it is. It's so interesting. It definitely is. And we've talked about it a lot in Sort of Austin because it is it's one of those things I think the more
0: you Kind of like learn to speak the language and understand what's going on with each of the types, the more you want to learn more and, you know, find other ways to apply it. And so, yeah, yeah, we talk about it a lot here. So, all right. Well, we are going to talk even more about uncovering truths about yourself and how that all works into a healthy approach to life, especially something that we're all thinking about here at the beginning of the year. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's the moment in the show where we take a few minutes just to tell you about whatever's awesome in our life this week, whether it's a new podcast or a book, a movie, a product, whatever it is that's making life a little bit more awesome for us this week. So Michelle, I can't wait to hear what you've brought for us.
1: Okay. I have discovered fleece-lined leggings this week, which, <laughs> nice. okay, I'm probably totally late to the party on this because I'm always like two <laughs> years behind the trends on everything. But (laughs) I was in Massachusetts for the holiday, visiting my family, and my sister and I went out shopping the day after Christmas because, of course, right, we didn't, clearly we didn't get enough consumerism (laughs) leading up to Christmas. Right, right. Went shopping, (laughs) and we're at this store called the Paper Store, which they don't have in Nebraska. I don't know if they have that store in Oklahoma, but I was not familiar with it. And my sister said, oh my gosh, they have fleece-lined leggings. I love these. They're 50% off. And I said, I don't even know what these are. What is this miracle that I have been living without for my whole life? And so I bought a pair and they are so cozy. Oh my goodness. I just want to wear them every day. (laughs) They are a total game changer for cold
0: weather. I think they are so cozy. They're the kind of thing like, You know, some leggings can be a little constricting and, you know, itchy or something, but the pairs that I have picked up are so, like you said, so cozy and so comfortable. You just kind of want to live in them. Yeah, well,
1: that's what I have been. So I only have one pair and I've basically been wearing them every day (laughs) since Christmas, right? And they're just perfect because, you know, I live in Nebraska and it's cold here and I have a dog and she likes to be walked every day. And so, yeah. This is a whole new thing that I am going to live into with Gusto this winter. I highly approve. They are awesome. If you have never tried them,
0: if you've been curious about them, I'm telling you, both Michelle and I are here to endorse them. You need to change your life with some fleece-lined leggings, for sure. For sure. My Awesome of the Week is also cold weather geared. It's the time of year when lots of us who do live in climates, I mean, Oklahoma is pretty mild, but it's pretty cold here, even especially like this time of year. We definitely get into the 20s and 30s. and So along with that comes a lot of times dry skin, that winter skin. That just feels so dry and just I don't know. For me especially, this is such an odd time of year for me because my face gets really dry. I don't normally have dry skin and I don't know if it's part of aging, Michelle, or what.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> no, unfortunately, I think that's a little bit to do with it, but definitely the weather. I mean, I don't typically yeah. have dry skin, at least on my face either, but in the winter I definitely have to yeah. have to up my moisturizer game.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, I'm here to tell you all the moisturizing cream that I have found that I love. It may be my holy grail moisturizer, at least for the cold weather months. Okay. It's from a Korean skincare company called Belief. Just a heads up. It's spelled, interestingly, it's spelled B-E-L-I-F, but it's pronounced Belief. It's called the True Cream Moisturizing Balm. (laughs) (laughs) And it really is like an explosion of moisture for your skin. They did a great job marketing this because it really is a moisturizing bomb, awesome. I promise. Yeah, it's so great. So their company marketing for the True Cream promises that you get 26 hours of hydration for your skin. Now I haven't exactly put that to the test. I do like to use it at night, but it's really best for normal or like combo to dry skin. So if you have oilier skin, if you're a little bit more prone to breakouts, this may not be your best choice because it does go on pretty thick. But if you're like me, if you just have like a combo skin and it's especially dry in the winter or if you're like me and your skin is mature and you (laughs) need more moisture added than you used to in your younger days. I mean, when I was in my 20s, I didn't give moisturizer a second thought No, me neither.
1: Me neither. Because my skin has always tended a little more towards either combination or even a little bit oily. So, yeah. this And I'm 48. So, this whole dry skin thing is yeah it's a new element in my life which I'm not loving but it is what it is it is what it is and thank
0: goodness the skincare industry is there for us
1: (laughs) so true so true I'm totally gonna try this thank you for the recommendation it really is well like I said
0: I've been using it at night so I've mentioned this on sort of awesome a few times but I look at my evening skincare as like a little bit of self-care at the end of the day so I do the whole thing where I use the cleanser and toner. I'll use some serums. And so then at the end of my evening skincare, I kind of seal everything in with this true cream. So I've got, you know, got my serums on and whatever else I've used. And then I just take a little bit of this and pat it all around my skin and on my neck. And I'm telling you a little bit goes a long way, which is good because it's $38 at Sephora for just under two ounces of this. So you know, it's not the most expensive by far, mm-hmm. not the most expensive moisturizer out there, but it's going to be a little bit higher price point than maybe your drugstore moisturizer would be. But a little does go a long way for me anyway. So anyway, again, it's the Belief, the True Cream Moisturizing Bomb. You can get it at Sephora. I think it's on Amazon. We will put links in show notes for all of this fun stuff. But yeah, for cold weather, you kind of want something, whether it's fleece-lined leggings or a great moisturizer to just get you through. A little comfort along the way in these winter months, definitely, definitely. So these are our awesomes of the week. Don't forget that we want to hear what is awesome in your life every single week. Like I said at the top of the show, we definitely do that on Instagram—that sort of awesome show—or come find us in our sort of awesome hangout community over on Facebook. We've been doing this for years. We open up the floor for you all to share what's awesome in your life. I have gotten so many awesomes in my life, because the awesomes have shared what's awesome for them. So if you haven't found us over on Facebook, you can do that at facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Okay, like I said, this is the time of year. Here we are at the beginning of January. All of 2019 is just rolling out ahead of us. There's so many possibilities. It's the time of year when lots of us are doing some self-reflection Maybe even a little, might call it navel gazing. <laughs> <laughs> a little light navel gazing as we start up the year. I love it. Oh, it so good. But truly, lots of us are thinking about kind of like where we are. You know, what did we learn in the past year? What do we want to accomplish in the year ahead? Many of us are thinking about a lot of inward growth that has happened, or that we're in the middle of, or that we're looking forward to, and so. I mean, honestly, Michelle, before we started recording, we talked a little bit about what a crazy time of year it is to have your book release on
1: January 1st. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, but, when I first heard from my publisher, the release date, January 1st, I was like, what? No, 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 no. That does not work for <laughs> me at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> but right. I think that they were pretty savvy because the book really yes. it does align well with things that are happening sort of in our minds and our hearts and our souls around the first of the year. So I think they were pretty savvy in that. But January 1st did strike me as a little bit weird.
0: (laughs) Well, I have to agree. It's pretty savvy because this is on everybody's mind right now, I think. is just this idea of uncovering and exploring who you are, who you truly are. And I want to talk about that message. But first, let's kind of back up just a little bit I would love to hear a little bit of just sort of background on kind of your, you know, highlights from your life story. Where did you grow up and how did you find your way into writing? And then how did the message for this book sort of come into your life as well?
1: Yeah, so I actually grew up in New England in Massachusetts, and I was raised Catholic but had kind of a fall from faith and religion. I like to call it my 20-year hiatus. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I was basically away from any sort of spirituality, faith, religion, belief for a good couple of decades. And my husband and I moved to Nebraska in 2001 when he's an English professor. So he got a job here at a college outside of Lincoln. And I was eight and a half months pregnant with our first baby. I know. Like, can you even imagine (laughs) literally bouncing across the Great Plains in a U-Haul? Yeah, it was so not fun. (laughs) And then right, you get here and I'm 1500 miles away from my family, my friends, my home, I had never lived anywhere else except for New England. And my husband went off to his job. And you know, I had given up my career and all sorts of major life transitions. So of course, I kind of hit like a rock bottom, you know, I had this colicky baby and was just so isolated. Even the landscape felt different to me you know I felt like I said to my husband like I feel like the clouds are pressing down on me there was just so much sky you know and you know that from living in Oklahoma right. but I was not used to that at all oh, yeah. so I felt like the landscape yeah. was suffocating me a little bit in its bigness which I realize sounds paradoxical but no I get yeah. it I get so it. Yeah. what happened was I mean I think This is a common experience, but what happened was I sort of like hit this rock bottom and it eventually propelled me to start seeking something else, which turned out to be a faith experience and spirituality. And so I slowly came back to faith and dipped my toes back into it a little bit at a time. And my husband had been raised Lutheran. And so I started attending a Lutheran church. And yeah, that just slowly came back to a new faith and spirituality. And then ended up writing a book about that experience, which was a memoir, my first book, which came out in 2014. So I hadn't actually been a writer prior to writing my first book, which is strange. I mean, I'd had writing jobs in terms of corporate writing or nonprofit writing. But I hadn't done any personal writing. And so...
0: I mean, that's like a really (laughs) big leap to go from like no personal writing to like, here's my whole spiritual I know, (laughs) I know. Well, you (laughs) you know,
1: (laughs) I didn't realize I was writing a book for like the first, I don't even know, 75 pages probably. I was just writing sort of, just Uh, writing through my experience of dipping my toes back into faith and spirituality again. And so writing along the way and writing... My way back into faith. And so, yeah, a certain number of pages in, I finally realized, like, I'm, I think I'm writing a book. And so that's what it came to be. Yeah. So (laughs) a little bit convoluted writing journey, but that's how it first started. That's amazing. I love that because I think a
0: lot of times those are some of the, you know, sort of the purest, most authentic messages is like you didn't even have in mind a book, but you just started writing some of this down and then it turned into a book. I think that especially when it comes to spiritual memoir, some of those are the most true, like just filled with authenticity and honesty of how that all unfolded. So I'm super curious then, how did this book, True You, come to be? Where did the message for this start to kind of like tap you on the shoulder and be like, I think you have something to say about this?
1: Well, I think it probably started, oh, maybe... Three years ago or so, my family and I took a trip out to the Pacific Northwest and we visited a Japanese garden in Portland, Oregon on our last day of our vacation. And as we were taking a tour through this garden, the tour guide was telling us about this Japanese gardening technique called pruning open. Yeah, it was Mm. really interesting. It's the technique that leads, I don't know if you've ever spent any time in a Japanese garden, but- I have not, no. Tell me everything. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I'm really into Japanese gardening now. Like who even (laughs) knew that that was gonna happen? (laughs) Right. But there's a, a spaciousness to it and an openness and a tranquility and serenity to the gardening that in large part comes from this pruning process called pruning open in which the gardener removes all of the extraneous leaves and branches and even whole limbs on the trees Yeah, to sort of reveal, and this is what the tour guide told us, sort of the essential element or the essential design that's inherent in each tree. And so Mm. she brought us to this Japanese maple. It was an old tree and oh my goodness, it was just stunningly beautiful. It was almost like sculptural in its design, just the way that it had been pruned open. And so I just, I could not shake that idea of pruning open and how it had led not only to this spaciousness and serenity and peacefulness in the garden as a whole, but also how it was able to reveal just the essential inner design of these particular trees. And I thought, that sounds like a really great spiritual metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, like there's something there. Yes. And so, yeah, that, Definitely. I mean, that's how it came to be that I just started turning over that metaphor and that idea and started looking into Japanese gardening, of all things, and realized the metaphor really could carry through in a lot of different ways. And so that sort of threaded through the whole book. And I love that. I love when nature just kind of like shows up
0: with like universal concept. And if we're paying attention and if we're tuned in and if we're willing to listen, that sometimes, like, yeah, there can be these huge concepts that are revealed that are totally unexpected, but really universal in helping us to kind of understand our experience here as people. Yeah, totally. And
1: I'm a total nature geek. I just love to spend time outside and I think the seasons have so much to teach us about, right? Just like life and humanity and how to live yes. and how to live abundantly and all of that good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, don't get me going on the topic of nature. Or I will not shut up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, actually, just to kind of, you know, take that idea and move it forward a little bit, I do know that you sort of open the whole book with this story of how you decided to take five minutes each day to just sit and be, whether you were you know, outside or wherever, to just sit in silence. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that story of how you decided to start trying to rest in that way and what came to you as you're practicing? I mean, five minutes on paper doesn't sound like that much sitting in silence, but as you share in the book, I mean sometimes it's kind of like, oh my gosh, five minutes. Yeah. What you do? <laughs>
1: Just I, stare exactly. Face for five I know. Minutes. Well, so what happened was it was kind of a whim. I have a dog, as you mentioned, she's a corgi beagle, so she tends towards a little bit of pudginess and she needs her daily walk. <laughs> so I walk her every afternoon and I'm a creature of habit. So we pretty much walk the same path every day. And there's this park bench alongside the path. And so one day I decided, I'm just going to sit here for five minutes in complete silence, you know, with I'm not gonna take out my phone, and I'm not going to be texting or scrolling Instagram or doing all the things that I typically do when I have five minutes of free time. And I thought I'm just gonna sit in silence. And so I noticed right away how strangely uncomfortable it was, like, I felt restless Mm. and agitated. And in fact, I looked at, I picked up my phone and I to look at the time twice in five minutes, right? I mean, that's just ridiculous. (laughs) So ridiculous. And I think that's when I realized like, oh my gosh, I have a problem. (laughs) Yes. Oh no, I get
0: it. It does. Like when you're used to just something filling your attention every minute from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed, Five minutes, that practice of silence starting at five minutes can seem like an eternity.
1: Yeah, it felt like an eternity. And so that's yeah. how I realized really that it was something that I needed to integrate into my daily life, even just five minutes of silence. I thought, I'm going to do this every day. And so I did. I sat at that bench. Every day, almost every day. There were a few days probably during the year that I skipped, but I was pretty, I mean, I'm triple type A. So when I set my mind to something, I do it. And so I did Mm -hmm. it. I sat there for five minutes in silence and solitude. And over time, I began to notice a couple of interesting things. One thing I noticed just in observing my surroundings is that there's some oak trees along this path. And I noticed that the oak trees have this interesting quirk in that they hold on to their leaves. Like long into the fall, when all the other trees have dropped their leaves, the oaks still have all their leaves, like even into January and February, which will drive you crazy because we have oak trees in our yard, which means right now, like my yard is full Uh, of leaves, which is so annoying. Like who wants to rake in January, right? And so I noticed like, well, that's really interesting. And I thought, what an interesting juxtaposition, this oak tree, that's just this cluster of just bramble and leaves and covering and extra branches compared with that Japanese maple that I saw in the garden that was just so open and spaciousness, Uh. space, you know. And I thought, there's a metaphor there too. Like, what am I holding on to? What are my extra leaves that I'm clinging to in my life that may be covering something up or camouflaging or that I'm using as some sort of shield and that I maybe need to let go of. And so I started to think about right. that and what that might mean in my own life. Yeah. Oh, that is so powerful to look at the contrast
0: between these two trees, because I think genuinely it is very much just part of human nature that we do want to hold on to things, whether we're either afraid to let them go or it just feels uncomfortable. Or we just get distracted and don't even realize we're not mindful about all that we're hanging on to. I love that, you know, you use that idea of just like, it's like a bramble, like yeah. it's kind of a mess. Uh-huh. <laughs> but on the other hand, as you think about in the Japanese gardening, the concept of pruning open, like it's also pretty intrinsic to the human condition that not many of us are like quick to sign up to be pruned. Right. You know. <laughs> that usually involves you know it's painful it the end result is beautiful but the process itself is usually not a lot of fun so i love that picture that you can look at the tree sort of in process but then look at the end result as well you get a really clear picture of what is the healthier approach and
1: here it is mm-hmm. in nature. I love that. That's so yeah, beautiful. That and me. it was illuminating because what it prompted me was to ask myself, so what are these extra leaves and branches in my life? And I realized for me, and you know, we just talked about how I'm a three on the Enneagram. So for me it was busyness and distraction, hustle, striving, this need to be Achieving and accomplishing things. And even if I were to admit it, which I eventually did, this need to be recognized and known. And there was, you know, a lot of things that I didn't really want to admit. But I realized that, yeah, these were some of the metaphorical leaves and branches that I was just holding on to as sort of a self protective. Mechanism, I guess, or covering up what's under that. Like, that's not my real self. That's not who God created me to be, right? This person who's always striving and hustling and trying to be known and recognized. That's not my true self. That's what, you know, theologians and others would call a false self. And so, I began to realize that. And like you said, the process of pruning, (laughs) it sounds really great on paper, so hard. It's painful. It leaves you feeling vulnerable, raw, exposed, you know, all sorts of difficult emotions are rising to the surface. And, you know, the key, I think, getting back to the five minutes is that we don't allow ourselves ever the time even 5 minutes to sit in reflection and quiet and contemplation yeah. and so it allows us to avoid what's under the surface and for me after yes. you know several months of sitting every day for 5 minutes one day i heard this question kind of like came up from the deepest part of me and the question was why do you have trouble with intimacy? I know. And I was Mm. just like, yuck. I don't, what is that? I don't want to deal with that question at all. Like, what does that even mean? And of course I just squashed it immediately. But that turned out to be a very illuminating question. You know, that was a question that was pointing towards my true self and what I would need to do and to practice in order to get to, a healthier, more whole version of myself. So that's a lot, but (laughs) that was the process. Oh no, My mind is just spinning because
0: there's so much there. I think all of us have our thing. And, you know, kind of to go back to Enneagram, like one of the best ways that Enneagram serves us is it helps us Mm -hmm. to realize what our thing is that we are doing that helps us to kind of avoid the real inward work that each of us are tasked with doing. And so for me as an Enneagram nine, my whole thing is just avoid altogether. <laughs> like I'm just, that's what we do. We're nines. We avoid bad stuff, but we can avoid good stuff too, because we like to have just that perfect sense of inner tranquility and even good stuff can disturb us. So I do think one of the keys of what you said is just like the hustle and busyness I feel like our culture, specifically like Western culture, really encourages and accommodates and enables us to live in a place of busyness. Like it definitely provides everything we need to keep ourselves distracted and busy and to, you know, entice us with this idea of hustle, hustle, hustle. And so that's sort of the outer culture. And if we're not really mindful about like, I've got to step outside of this. Then eventually, it does take that toll, even in like in our souls, like in the truest inward places.
1: Yeah, over time, exactly. And you know, there's not to totally geek out, but I'm going to geek out for a second. There's brain science that supports this. There are a few different, well, probably a lot of networks, right, functioning in our brain, and but there are two in particular. There's one called the task-positive network, which is kind of responsible for, you know, decision-making and very action-oriented. It's sort of our day-to-day functioning mechanism. And then there's the default mode network, which is where sort of deeper level thinking and sorting takes place and where we're able to make deeper connections. And it's also where the brain engages in activities like contemplation and daydreaming, But the problem is we're so go, 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 and, you know, we have our phones in our hands all the time and our to-do lists, we literally don't allow our brains to enter into that default mode network. So we're constantly in this task positive network mode which means we, Mm, our brains literally forget how to rest. The only time they're resting is when we're sleeping.
0: Yes, it's so true. And if, unless you have really tried to, you know, whether it's through meditation or, you know, going on Mm -hmm. daily walks or whatever, if, unless you have taken some kind of proactive step, you don't even know it's happening to you that you have forgotten how to rest. Because it really does just become like, this is just what life is. It's scary how easily it happens. And then it can be a little scary to try to recapture the ability to rest. And that's why
1: when we do finally say we're on vacation or, you know, or we want to say practice meditation or just take up some new contemplative practice, that's why we struggle so much, or at least I did. Like I was super agitated and restless. I could not rest for the longest time because my brain and my body forgot how to do it. So I had to retrain those neural pathways in my brain. And that's what that daily practice yes. even though it was only five minutes. So you think like, what can you accomplish in five minutes in terms of contemplative work, but you really can if you do it consistently, you know, I did it every day, just for five minutes, and was able to sort of, I think, retrain those neural pathways or create new neural pathways in my brain.
0: Yes. And I think that you know, in your book, you even talk about this in terms of our minds just like need that time and space to really give our souls a place to like say something. I love that as you were sitting there and this didn't happen immediately. It Didn't you say it was like a couple of months into it when this question mm-hmm. about intimacy yes. kind of just like popped into your mind. Sometimes I think again, because our culture is like so Outcome base that we might think, okay, I tried meditating for a week and like literally nothing <laughs> happened.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> but we have got to have the sort of discipline, and I don't know, even just like believing that over time, when we rest, when we quiet ourselves, that you never know what our soul is going to kind of right. tap us on the. And I think that's with. what's
1: so great about just starting with five minutes because. I mean, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, that's just intimidating and overwhelming. Who has time for that? But five minutes, you can find five minutes in your car when you're driving to work. I mean, it doesn't have to be on a park bench in nature. It can be in your home. It can be in your car, just the radio off, your phone put away. And so it's accessible. It's manageable. Yes,
0: yes, totally. I mean, even with you know, people talk about their shower thoughts all the time, I think that the shower may be one of the last quiet Mm -hmm. places for many of us in our day. I've said this on this show before. I know I am in a very bad place when I start trying to like listen to podcasts and listen to music when I'm showering, because that means I'm (laughs) avoiding to the maximum. Like I can't even have five minutes of solitude. I have to fill it, fill it, fill it so I don't deal with the thing, you know, that I need to be dealing with. But truly, even shower time can be five minutes of just like letting your mind go free and wonder and daydream. And I think that's why, you know, this idea of like, oh, my yeah, gosh, I had the best yeah, idea of the shower. exactly.
1: That's the perfect time.
0: <laughs> because, yeah, we actually gave ourselves time and space to just, yeah, open that up and see what, yeah. what comes to us. So one thing that you talk about in the book that really resonates with me is the idea that we may, as we're in this process... Of uncovering, finding our true selves, discovering who we are, uncovering that, that we're going to encounter some brokenness. And for a lot of us, I do think, and I'll I'll say this is very true for myself, maybe other people who are listening can identify with this. There is a sort of fear factor of being still and giving our souls time and space to process and to ask us questions because. We're afraid that some of that brokenness might come to the surface, and that that might be painful or hard, or basically just a bummer to deal with. But you really talk about how when we step into that place of our deepest brokenness, that's part of the process of really discovering who we are. Actually, I wonder if you could say a little bit more about this. I'm not saying no, it very no, well. You say it beautifully. Yeah, but I no, if you you're say saying it perfectly.
1: I mean, the thing is. Once we begin to strip away some of those extraneous parts of ourselves that are not our true selves, we are going to probably inevitably come into contact with wounds or pain, brokenness that often stems years back, right, to maybe even our childhood or you know, earlier on in our life. But I guess what I would argue is that unless we acknowledge that brokenness and sort of put a name to it, we aren't truly able to be wholly in authentic relationship, not only with ourselves and those around us, but also with God. And I particularly love, and I think I have this quote in the book, it's by A psychologist and an author by the name of Dr. Larry Crabb, and I'm not really actually very familiar with his writing, but he says, God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be or wish we were. God's, yeah, God's truth does not set free a pretending or hiding heart. And I mean, if you sit with that a little bit, it seems really simple. We really just, we can't be free if we are unwilling to admit our brokenness, our flaws, our deepest wounds, and our pain in the first place. And the truth is, I think God isn't necessarily interested in meeting our false pretending self. He wants to be in real relationship with us. And so that means including our flaws and our brokenness and everything. It's kind of like any really true whole relationship, right? Whether it's your marriage, a partnership, a friendship, if we're not our whole selves with the people that we love, if we're just sort of pretending or not showing our full selves or only presenting the bright, shiny, pretty parts of ourselves, are we really in authentic relationship with another person? Not really.
0: Yeah. And I think the older we get, the more we realize like how exhausting that is to maintain Uh, over
1: time. Seriously, so exhausting. And I mean, anybody I think who's done work with the Enneagram will realize that, you know, it's just, you realize, oh my gosh, I am so tired of being the performer and the achiever. And, you know, you're tired of being the peacemaker all the time. And, you know, every number on the Enneagram has their place where they're just, oh my goodness, just exhausted.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely and i think it's so powerful that when we stop resisting that and really just accept it for what it is and let it come to the surface and if it feels scary that's okay feel the scariness of it but still let it come to the surface as you are kind of putting together this bigger picture of who your true self is mm-hmm. and who you were meant to be mm-hmm. in this world so and i think too you know i'm sure as people are listening right now i know that amongst all of the awesomes that are listening, that there are people who right now at the beginning of this year, they're maybe not looking forward to 2019 as the, you know, is, is all spread out before us, that maybe they're in a really dark, hard season where there's maybe just not a lot to look forward to. And I wonder if you could say a little bit more about those, you know, sort of the idea of the dark night of the soul or just those very heavy, challenging, painful seasons and how even that fits into This journey towards holistic living?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, nobody really wants to be in the dark night of the soul. (laughs) It's not really really a fun place. Yeah, exactly. But it's a necessary part of the journey. I think it's an inevitable part of the journey. And I would even argue that we'll probably each of us have more than one period of the dark night of the soul in our lifetimes. I think particularly on this journey toward uncovering our true selves, you know, when we get to that point where we have finally acknowledged and named our brokenness, our pain, our wounds, the things that we've been carrying and pretending. And when we finally sort of strip those away, we come to realize how much we need God, first of all. You know, Brene Brown called it, I think, rumbling. Rumbling, I call it Mm. reckoning. You know, we're reckoning with our baggage and the behavioral patterns that we've created as a defense against these wounds and this pain and this brokenness that we've carried for probably many, many years. So like I said earlier, as we begin to strip that away, strip away the extra leaves and branches and bramble and all of the mess, we can end up feeling very isolated, but also very raw mm-hmm. and very exposed, very vulnerable. And yeah. I love in Japanese gardening, they call it the hard prune. Um, the word is Fukinoshi I'm not sure I'm totally pronouncing that right, but it's literally translated as to redo. And so, you know, this is a necessary part of transformation both in gardening and in our spiritual journeys, that the cutting back to the most basic framework in order to reveal a new shape and in order to allow new growth to happen.
0: That is so beautiful, so powerful. I mean,
1: it's beautiful to talk about. It's kind of awful to experience. (laughs) I know, I know. I mean, I feel like I've already had two that, you know, I can really point to two dark nights of the soul. You know, one was really long when, as I mentioned earlier, I was away from all faith and I was an unbeliever for a long time. And in a lot of ways, that was a very lonely and frightening place when I finally admitted that that's where I was. I mean, for a long time, I was in total denial and wouldn't even acknowledge it. I was just, I mean, I would literally tell my husband who was, by the way, a theology major, like really? I married a <laughs> theology major? <laughs> and so he always really wanted to talk about these deep things. And I would literally say to him, yeah, I don't talk about deep stuff. And I'm sure he was like, what uh-huh. the world is wrong with her? But I was in denial. I, that was, I would yeah. not name my brokenness. I refused for a long time.
0: Yeah. One thing that you said that really stood out to me is that when we're going through this, that can be really isolating. And one of the things I deeply just love about the community that has grown up around sort of awesome and in our awesome community is this idea of community being there, whether it's, you know, in an online context, like our hangout is, or, of course, you know, real life face to face, what role does community play in this whole process? The hard stuff, certainly, the dark night of the soul, but maybe even just like the regular day to day stuff of discovering our true selves, because it can seem as we're talking about, it, it sounds like a very like focused, inward, individual thing. But I think you have some ideas about how you know this can actually play out in community.:
1: Yeah, well, I love this quote by Henry Nowen, who was Catholic. Teacher, theologian, he said, in true community, we are windows constantly offering each other new views on the mystery of God's presence in our lives. And I love that because so often I'm just blind to God's presence, I'm just blind to how he's working in my life. And so it's my community, friends, family, and sometimes even strangers. Right ah, Who yeah. remind us that we are beloved, loved by God, who remind us that God is with us, that He is present with us, you know, in the dark night of the soul, you feel estranged, you feel isolated, you feel distanced mm-hmm. from God. you know, I love Mother Teresa's. are you familiar with Mother Teresa's letters that were released after her passing Yes. Well, right. Yes. I mean, it turns out she struggled through a long, dark night of the soul yes. in which she questioned her faith and her relationship with God. And gosh, it was so illuminating to realize even someone like Mother Teresa of all people, right, we kind of put on a yeah. pedestal, you know. But she walked through the dark night of the soul, and it was her community. She had, I think, it was two very close priest that she was close to, her confessors, and she wrote them letters in which she was 100% vulnerable and honest about her wrestling and her questions and her unbelief, which is, you know, what it was. She was really struggling with her faith. And so that was her community, and they gave her hope. They sustained her during that long, long period of darkness. So Yes, I, just, I love that story, and I was just so surprised to hear it. You know, growing up Catholic, we didn't know yeah. that about Mother Teresa until she had passed, and then right. they released these letters.
0: In a weird way, sort of like validating and encouraging that you know, someone that we think of, you know, she's a canonized saint now. we think of her as this paragon of spirituality that she struggled hard through some very real darkness. Mm-hmm even as she was, you know, living out her calling and her vocation. So just like that, I think that so many of us, whatever the situation is, we can start to think like, it's only me. I'm the only one who's, you know, experiencing this pain or working through this circumstance and just knowing that others are coming alongside us and have experienced it too, is so helpful. And I think, the, one of the biggest things too is we're talking about our true selves. As we are working on this, as we're doing this inward work, I think it's good to have people that you're close to that you can kind of fact check with. You know, like as thoughts come to yourself, maybe be able to say something I've always believed about myself is mm. this and kind of get response from people who know you really well, whether it's a sibling or a spouse, a best friend, a mentor, because we can start to tell stories about ourselves to ourselves that we really. Like, believe our facts over time. And sometimes the process of like, who am I really? This is something I believed about myself. Do you think this is true? It, we need to hear that feedback from others. Maybe they will confirm it, or maybe they'll be like, what are you talking about? Why would you ever think that about yourself? You know, but just getting it out there and processing with somebody else and, you know, kind of seeing how some of these stories we tell about ourselves, do they ring true to other people can be really helpful too. So anyway, Michelle, thank you so much. This has been such an illuminative conversation. And again, I know so many people are really in this mindset right now and kind of wondering, like, what does this look like practically lived out? And you have so much more about all of this in your book that just came out this week. Let's talk about where we can find the
1: book, first of all. Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. So lots of just different places Online and in stores. And you can read a little bit more about it on my website, which is michellederusha.com. Okay. And then just backslash true you. So all that's right. the book page. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We will definitely have a link in the show notes where you all can go and find true you. Again, it's true you, letting go of your false self to uncover the person God created. So, and we'll have links to Michelle's website for sure. Michelle, where can we find you if we just want to have, because lots of times awesomes love to have a little follow-up conversation. So where can we find you like on social media, where you're talking about the book and all kinds of other things as well?
1: Well, I love to hang out on Instagram. So I'm at Michelle Derusha over there. So I spend most of my social media time on Instagram. And I also am on Facebook. I have an author page Michelle DeRusha. So I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. Yeah. I'm on Twitter too a little bit, but not quite so much as much there.
0: (laughs) I need to take Twitter out of all of my social media stuff because I check it like every three months and then I get
1: really overwhelmed and I'm like, no, I hate this.
0: I'm never doing this
1: again. Like, why do I even still list it? Because I just am not there very often. So yeah, Instagram is sort of my favorite place because I love to take pictures, and as I said, earlier, I sort of find myself most easily in nature. So I like to spend Mm -hmm. time outdoors and it's just naturally a good place for Instagram pictures and nature. Perfect. Yeah, Yes.
0: definitely. Definitely. We'll have links to all of that for you all to be able to find Michelle. If you want to find me on social media, I'm at sort of awesome Meg and all of the places. The show is on Twitter. For those of you who live on Twitter and do better than I do about Twitter, the show's on Twitter over at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Michelle, again, thank you so much for taking time out of this busy launch week. And we're just coming out of the holidays. I just appreciate so much that you had time to come and give us this very inspiring message to start off the new year.
1: Well, thank you. I have been a listener of Sorta Awesome for a good long time. And I just never imagined that I would get to be a guest. So this has just been such a thrill for me, a great way to start my new year. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Totally, totally. Well, thank you all. Awesome.
0: So much for listening. Like I said, we have lots of fun things in store for you for 2019. So thanks so much for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Proger. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to SortaAwesomeShow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old.